almost everything people told me would destroy me has made me happy. And almost everything people said would make me happy has almost destroyed me. I am Holly Whitaker. And I'm Emily McDowell. And this is Quitted, a podcast about quitting. Hey, Roy. <laughs> How you doing? I'm actually doing pretty good. I think I'm doing good. great. Yeah, feel good. Oh, no. Let's just say I don't feel bad. <laughs> I mean, that's a win. I think I'm it gonna is. Say, <laughs> I am going to say 2022, <laughs> I don't feel bad. That's a win. Yeah, um, it is. It's I mean, I, there was a while where I started saying, like, when people were like, how are you? Which is a which was it, and still is feels like a hard question to answer. The answer yeah. was good enough, and like good enough, well enough. You yeah. know, I'm good enough. I'm alive. I'm breathing. So that's I, a win, right? I want to try and show up today. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because I think most of my friends, um, the people that I'm closest with, you included, um, like one of my good friends, Marley. Grace yesterday posted. <laughs> it was really good. They wrote a newsletter of, and admitted they're in recovery, right? And they're a dancer and they're an artist and they're the kind of person you would imagine. You know, they have a lot of tattoos. They seem like someone that would meditate. They've lived in the desert and they don't. They wrote this newsletter about that was called I Don't Meditate mm-hmm. um, or No, I Don't Meditate. And it was such a phenomenal response because everybody in it was like, are you okay? Or like, but you are meditating. Quilting is meditating. Or like mm. basically trying to superimpose this like, but you are really meditating. Like, don't say you don't meditate. Like people can't stand that someone actually actively opposes meditating or doesn't engage in it. Right. And it was really funny watching that whole thing. But the piece that got me was the ones that said, are you okay? And I think that I have had that thrown at me a lot of like, are you okay? You know, we're worried about you. And I'm just being honest. No, I'm not. And yes, I am. And if I were to try and say, like, keep it together and present this idea of okayness in a time where we are like, there's a lot of reasons to not be okay. And I think that, yeah, I'm not okay and I'm okay. And I personally don't know anybody that is thriving right now. No, I don't either. I, I think I think you really nailed it. Is there is a not we're holding two things at once. We're all okay and not okay at the same time. Like we're all living, showing up for our lives in whatever ways we have to, and like living and breathing. And so, okay, sure, I'm functioning, but like, <laughs> yes, the thriving part is. Um, I don't I don't know anybody who really is either. It just it's been a heavy time. And it's been a heavy time for a long time. Yeah. And yes, you know, we're just, we're just getting through. Yeah. And I think you can hold both things at once. I think like I'm at fundamentally, I'm okay. I'm not worried about myself. Right. And no, I'm not okay. You know, like I absolutely do not feel okay. And Mm -hmm. so those things can coexist. And I don't think we let them, I think we try and say you're one or the other. Yeah, you want a binary answer. And that's why it's been so hard for me to answer that question when people say, how are you? Because you want to say good or bad or, you know, you want to give it a binary answer. And I haven't been able to give it a soundbite 
for the last two years. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, can I draw you I'm a like, Venn diagram? how are you? How are you? Well, do you have 17 minutes? <laughs> I have a PowerPoint presentation I would like You're to right. do through. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, well, and you so- wrote you wrote a newsletter this week that well, was really great yesterday yeah. that was that was really great that is related to this yeah i think to the what to being okay and not okay well and to being honest right to being yeah. okay not okay and to being honest and saying hey yeah. this isn't this thing isn't working for me and i need yeah. to do it differently and like i mean my life isn't <laughs> right. This thing meaning <laughs> like all of it. I mean, there's some things that are working, but I think that the long and the short of it is, and we talk about this in this episode or this series with Martha, but the long and the short of it is that I, it's kind of like, you know, it's like you told me one of your friends who's a, who's a teacher, you know, lost 16 years of their files when they left a job and they, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's just like me, I collected, I, you know, I've been trying to collect all of my old talks. And like this idea that these things that we did in the past, like we need them so much because these are, you know, these are, these are, and this is because the foundation in the future we might, upon right? which we will build something else, right? Yeah. Like that's how I think of it is like, yeah. oh shit, I have to archive every Instagram post I've ever yes. made because this, these breadcrumbs, without these, I will <laughs> just be like floating in space with no idea who I am or what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. it n- it's not working trying to pull that life along with me or salvage its remains or like archive my, you know, my 2000 Instagram posts in case I can't do something after this. And I think that that's just it, which is the crux of this talk with Martha is like, I'm sitting there and she's saying, she said something like, you know, this pie is making me sick, but I'm going to eat this pie harder. I'm going to eat it faster, you know, and I'm going to eat more of it. Yeah. Like, please. And go harder at it and like, get more pie. And my life has not been working. Like the things that used to work that I loved doing and that were really important to me fell apart. All of it, yeah. you know, massively yeah. and on a personal level, you know, maybe not, maybe not the impact that it's had on other people. But for me personally, that idea of what my life would look like, you know, is very different yeah. than what I thought it would. And I'm just like kind of building a fence around these things that were, that worked at once and were really important to me and just, like and, and and also I'm miserable in doing this. And those things didn't make me happy even when they were going good. And right. so it's just like, what am I holding on to? So yes, I wrote a newsletter and I was just like, it was a fuck it newsletter. And it was just like, I I need to change my life and I need to let go of things that I think that I have to be and do and that like I'm only good at like this, like, you know, I, I want to let go of all of this so I can see what fills in the space. And I know I want to, like, I write all the time. You know, Martha and us, we talk about, like, me writing for 15 minutes a day. I'm writing, like, for fucking five to eight hours a day. I am a writer. And that makes me happy and makes me feel good. And Instagram doesn't. And, like, Mm -hmm. creating a recovery empire doesn't. And coaching, you know. And so, anyway. Well, and also this newsletter was about how, trying to force yourself into a box of showing up with a long weekly essay for a newsletter wasn't working. Like about how 
in order to be a writer and in order to do what lights you up, you had to let go. You were going to let go of this idea of what the newsletter had to be and in, yeah. and to let go of the idea that, you know, your writing was going to have to look this certain way and be this certain degree of like productive and like show the world mm. your productivity. And that I think that that hit a nerve for people because people were like, oh my God, like I think that there are, you know, we're all sort of carrying around this degree of not okayness in us. And then I know that I personally see content being like just pumped out right and left by people who I really admire and mm -hmm. it makes me yeah. feel like, oh, my God, what's wrong with me that I can't do this right now or that I'm not doing this or whatever. And so I think for you to say, I actually trying to show up with a long essay every week is is doesn't feel good and this doesn't work for me and it's really hard. And so I'm going to stop doing it, I think, was probably really permission giving for people. One of my friends who's a, a writer I deeply admire and has multiple books published, wrote me and said, oh, my God, I'm so relieved with this because mm -hmm. I was like, how is she doing this? And I'm like, you, you know, of all the people that could say this, you're the most, she's one of the most prolific writers that I know. Mm. And it felt really good. And I didn't, and, and it like, it, it is interesting, right? That piece of like, I didn't mean to sh make people feel like, I had it all together. It was really easy for me to do this amount of work. I didn't even think I was doing enough work. I thought I needed to do more. <laughs> right. Like, this is, right. You know, I look at Anne Hill and Peterson and I'm just like, she does two threads a week, you know, like, and and I, I was thinking about this last night because I don't want to be Anne Hill and Peterson. I don't want to be Haley Nauman. I don't want to be, you know, Matthew Iglesias. And these are all writers that write on Substack and like pump out the content and and have great content but yes it's, it's just great, a different but that's not me right right it's different and i think that at least i know that like i just you know pr make so many assumptions about what's going on you know like oh this person mm. is this person must have it all together this person must have it all together and I think that the Liz Gilbert episode, actually, the, the first one that we did of this podcast, where mm -hmm. she talks about how she quit Instagram and why, meaning like it was killing her, was a very, like, th I think about that often when I think about how I'm assuming that people have their shit together. Like, Liz Gilbert must have her shit together on Instagram. Like, right? No. You know, she's <laughs> just like the rest of us. Just she's figuring. Checking. Just... She's yeah, checking she's to checking see if it. The relevance is like yep. still there when she posts. Right. Same. You know, and so the through line of this conversation is we're all a mess and let's talk about it. Yeah. And let's yeah. like let's embrace this mess. I think like mm -hmm. let's let's fearlessly run forward into the disaster that <laughs> is being a human. <laughs> and that feels like a good introduction to this conversation with Martha Beck, who is so good at that. Before we move into this episode, I am going to beg you. Yes, beg you. Please help us out. So we are a personally funded show. That means we pay for all of it. Uh, we don't take advertising dollars at this point. We're not being paid by a studio. Again, as we've mentioned before, no one asks us to do this. Um, but if you do like this show, if it means something to you, we would love your help. And you can help us in a couple of different ways. One is 
by simply going to either Spotify or Apple or whatever podcast app you use to listen to us. Make sure that you're subscribed to us, that you're downloading it weekly. Like us, leave us a, you know, a five-star review or a four, you know, if you want. Um, And then also, if you want to financially support the show, you can simply go to patreon.com forward slash (laughs) forward (laughs) slash quitted. Um, You can contribute financially there. Um, Also, there's one other thing. Oh, yeah. Tell your friends about it. Share. If something is meaningful to you, pass it on. That Martha Beck. I'm in a place right now where I am terrified. Like mm-hmm. on one hand, you know, this 10-year journey of having this company and being this person who made greeting cards like feels complete and I feel ready to write other things and to think about other things. And, you know, and then on the other hand, I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean? And who am I? And how do I do that? And like, Mm. and how will I make money? And like, how will I, you know, how will I make a living? And I have a non-compete. And so I can't do anything in my industry. And what industry can I do anything in? And it's like, you know, it's this swirling Mm. kind of a A mind is a wonderful servant and a terrible Mm -hmm. master. You're looking at the, at at the landscape and in, in a culture where money is everything and it's better to look good than to feel good. And we're talking about what Liz did there was she, the one thing she knew was what she loved and she had no intention except to feel a little better. So what I would do, and this is what I do in coaching a lot, and I I keep trying to get more advanced, but people just need this over and over and over. Think about the worst experiences of your life and how horrible they felt. And remember what it was like in the, like the horrible relationship, the worst year of school, whatever it was, just notice how that feels give it a name, you know, the shit sandwich feeling, whatever. Then go to an experience where you felt free and alive and happy, even if it was just a couple of hours or you were just falling in love or you got a puppy or whatever, right? Notice how that feels, okay? Then put those two feelings at each end of a spectrum, the crap feeling and the puppy feeling or whatever, minus 10 and plus 10. Then make a list of things you plan to do today and look at them and see what you feel. Do you feel like minus one plus six? What, like, you know, like I'm going to uh, go to Pilates after this. And it gets like a plus six or seven on my happy meter. Um, the six, the reason it's not a 10 is that my back sometimes hurts. Hmm. I could make a one degree change and say to my Pilates dude, I'm not doing that. It makes my back hurt. And then suddenly it's up to a plus nine. Right. So, and I'm, if there's something I have to do that's like I'm writing a new book proposal under time pressure, ooh, that's kind of hard. How can I make that a little better? I got to call my agent and get a couple more days to work. Like you just start adjusting. And at first it was like, literally, I'm just going to lie down. I'm going to lie down for 10 minutes. It's all like I'm in so much pain. All that feels good is lying down. And And then I ended up like teaching business school for some random reason and saying things to my business students like, well, if you need to lie down, do that. And they were like, what? (laughs) What is this madness? Tell me again. (laughs) And I'd be like, all right, let's have a whole class on doing what you want. And they loved it. And they started hiring me out. And there wasn't a thing called life coach. It's still the cheesiest thing I've ever heard of. I never wanted it. I tried to write books to get people to go away. 
So I wouldn't have to be a life coach. Here, it's in a book. And it's just backfired. And they keep waving money at me going, say it again about do what you like. Okay. Okay. The money... Love sells better than hate. When you're doing what you love with people you love in a place you love, you create things that people love and everyone wants to love things. And if you're doing things you hate with people you hate in a place you hate, you're going to make hate and people don't want that and it doesn't sell well. So if you're going to monetize your life, make it something you love. Mm. Okay. Okay. Taken. Thank you. I feel I may have gone too far. Thank you. No, no, you have. You haven't. No, you haven't. No, it's it's perfect. I mean, it's the simple that's not the easy, and that's real. You know, but it is easy, right? Yeah, it is easy. No, it's easy. easy. Well, it, it requires you to. It requires you to prioritize you. You know, in a way that most of us are not used to doing and it requires us to be willing to lose the shit sandwich even if there are like elements of the shit sandwich that we really like you know like that i mean you talk a lot about about disrupting the social order right and like Mm -hmm. what happens when you start doing things that doing things that make you happy that even if they're not necessarily hurting other people in your life they threaten those people. Oh, yeah. I got death threats. I got lawsuit threats. I got threats against my children when I um, came out about sexual abuse and Mormonism. Yeah, that you're right. But you're, you're still into the complexity of it. Mm-hmm. The really, the thing you need is courage, plain and simple. And courage, you know, the French word cour is heart. You, when you're trying to calculate the odds and make it all work out and dodge the problems and keep the good stuff and everything, that's still up in the mind. And the mind is not as intelligent as the heart, quite frankly. The heart is sending more afferent nerves to the brain than vice versa. And it's when you drop into what you feel that you can make discerning choices about what to do. Mm. It's that simple. And y- you'll know moment to moment to, no- to moment if you just choose what one degree, what feels warmer to the heart, you'll end up in a terrific place and you'll keep the, the good things and lose the bad things. And then you'll be looking around. I mean, I based the whole book around Dante's Divine Comedy because he goes through this whole process and it ends up taking him to paradise. And that mm-hmm. is actually, I think he wrote that the Divine Comedy as a metaphor for how to become yourself. And he goes through all the hellish things and all the hard things in purgatory. And then when he's aligned with his own truth, everything is amazing. And he actually says, stop reading. You won't believe this. But I have found that when people get to the point where they're actually doing what their hearts want with courage, often scared spitless, but with courage, their lives become amazing, magical. Mm. Emily and I share a psychic. Um, and oh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I had my meeting with her uh, last Friday, and we were talking about this, you know, I'm I'm worried about money, right? Like, that's just, like, this big thing. I'm just like, I money, money, money. I think you're the money. only person, Holly. The only one in the world that happens to be worried about money. And But in a really, you know, for me, I haven't been for a while. And all of a sudden, these old stories of, 
if you do that, like, here's the path to go that's going to be secure, pay your bills, and you know what to do. Or here's, you know, you go this path. And and so money is at the forefront, right? It's the thing making decisions for me. And our our, our psychic says, it's not about the money that you're not worried about the money. Like, the money, you're worried about the the loss of relevance. You're worried about going mm. down this path where you're going to lose this thing that's really important to you. And it got me thinking, and, and her whole thing was, go after the contentment. Like, stop going after the money. But that is really paradoxical because I keep thinking, if I had the security, if I had the money, then I would be able to do the things I love. <laughs> and like, then I can relax and just focus on my art versus go focus on your art. And then it follows. That is the cultural story. I mm. once asked someone who came from a family of billionaires, like a famous, famous, extreme wealth family. I said, what are people's worries when they're not afraid of not having enough money? And she said, I've never met anyone who's not afraid of having uh, too little money. And I was like, but your family, everybody in your family has billions of dollars. She says, yeah. And they worry more about money than the rest of the people. Like it's built into the culture. There is this belief. If you worry enough about money and sell out your joy to get money, you'll be okay. And that mm. does not work. It doesn't work. It's like saying, here, I made a pie, eat this. And it makes you vomit every single time, but you just keep <laughs> eating. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So like start experimenting uh, and, and she's right about the contentment and we can be content with very little. The most contented I've ever felt long-term was when I spent a month in this little cottage out in the bush in Africa and I had three outfits. I had my computer, no internet, and you know, I had medical supplies in case something went wrong. And that was all I had. And I would, I meditated. I went out with my friends to see the animals. It was the happiest I could, I remembered ever being. And there was, I had virtually no possessions. And a lot of people that I've coached have said the happiest times of their lives. I mean, when I said, what's the happiest moment you remember, what came to you? Well, right after I left my last job, being in Italy for months, having only, as you're saying, I had three outfits. I had so few outfits. I had just, you know, the sun on my face, you know, mm. and a good pair of Converse. And yeah, I was free as fuck. Mm -hmm. And no money. <laughs> Lots of debt, no money. And you were completely yeah. happy. So I, I like to differentiate between what people want. And that is always a fat bank account so that I can just buy a yacht and cruise around feeling relaxed, which is a total myth. There was a billionaire in Germany who killed himself because he lost $300 million and he only had $400 million left. He couldn't live with that little money, you know? That's all the mind. So that's what people want. The culture tells us what we want and it tells us how to get it. But then I ask people, when you wake up at night in the dark and it's silent and nothing's happening, what do you yearn for? So answer me that. Emily, what do you yearn for mm. in the middle of the night? Connection, freedom, peace. Yeah. They're like five things that everyone from every culture on earth yearns for. We want incredibly different things depending on what our culture tells us is good. But what we yearn for is universal and it is freedom, peace, love. Mm -hmm. That's about it. 
honestly. And you, freedom, peace, and love are available now. The first thing you can do is give yourself freedom, peace, and love. If Holly takes that 15 minutes to write, puts up a picture of California, she's going to feel freedom, peace, and love to the extent that she allows herself to for those 15 minutes. And that's the end goal, not the pile of money. You don't want to be like King Midas or have you guys seen Breaking Bad? Mm -hmm. Uh, There's Walter White sitting on his huge, massive pile of money, completely unable to spend it and miserable and killing people over it. So go for the feeling states of freedom, peace, joy, love as they present in the moment, in the present moment, because you literally have no control over what happens in five minutes ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I am really curious. I have to ask you, like, do you still feel at this point like you're uncovering places where you're personally out of integrity? And yeah, I'm the book I'm writing now is about fear Mm. because people came to me in droves (laughs) after the way of integrity came out and said, well, because my premise is not only that what we do is differentiated by truth and falsehood, but what we think. So if a thought makes you unhappy, my belief is that it's not true. If a thought keeps you captive and doesn't set you free, I don't believe it's true. The Buddha used to say, wherever you find the sea, no matter what it looks like in any given place, you can tell it's the sea because it always tastes of salt. And wherever you find your own enlightenment, no matter what it looks like, you can tell it because it always tastes of freedom. So that setting yourself free has been something that I've been pushing my whole career. And so people came to me after the way of integrity and they said, well, I believe that most of my painful thoughts are untrue, but my fears are justified. I was afraid someone I love would die. They died. I was afraid I would lose money when I left my job. I did. I was Mm -hmm. poor for a while. Yeah. You can't tell me fear is a lie. And I used to wake up like even during the pandemic um, when I was kind of just hold up with my family, I'd wake up and I'd feel this wave of fear. And I now think that it was actually coming from the whole population. Like we all got so scared at the beginning, right? So I was like, huh. My premise is that if it makes you afraid, if it makes you suffer, it's a lie. But this isn't a lie that so many people are going to die and I could get sick and my loved ones could. And then I thought, Well, I use the method that I recommend in the way of integrity. Can I be absolutely certain my fears are justified? So, Holly, can you be absolutely certain that you won't make more money if you leave the life you're in now? Can you be absolutely certain? No, no. No. Mm -hmm. And I was was well-trained at Harvard. I, I was trained to think like a scientist. If I can't prove a hypothesis true, then I have to accept that it may be wrong. So I looked at all the things I'd been afraid of, like your life is going to suck and everything will go wrong for you because you have a child with a disability. So many people told me that. And I look at my life and it's like my first bestseller was about him. The child is a cash cow, you know, (laughs) it's like ka-ching, ka-ching. Hello, Adam. And, (laughs) And almost everything people told me would destroy me has made me happy. And almost everything people said would make me happy has almost destroyed me. Mm. It's just wrong. Mm -hmm. And as I've dug into it, um, my fear has grown less and less and less. And it's astonishing. 
It's like, it's, I, I kind of feel like Dante when he says, stop reading, you're not going to believe how good things can get. You know, it's it's almost incredible how good it can feel. Yeah. The observation that you have in the book about, or you talk about, you can recognize a soul teacher because they don't fit into the culture. Yeah. They're mavericks. And many cultures have, the, like if you've read um, Shakespeare's plays, often it'll be about a king who has a fool. And the fool's job is to tell him the truth and to mock him for everything that he's really upset about. <laughs> because most cultures, they or they have like the, the Hayoka among the, the Lakota people. It, it was a guy or a woman who would ride a horse backward and complain of the cold in summer and go around naked in winter sweating and saying it was so hot. Somebody, they, Most cultures have contrarians in place to knock people out of the cultural assumptions. We don't really have that. I mean, comedians do that to a certain extent. But the ability to like break free from the cultural story, it's really hard if you don't have something pushing you really hard. So these soul teachers show up and they're weird. They're not like, oh, you're just going to teach me. You're going to be my perfect mentor that I always dreamed about. No, it's going to be somebody who says, you know, fuck you, go live in the mountains or whatever. (laughs) Like, it's not going to be what you expect. And to me, that's the most exciting and fun thing about it. Yeah, for sure. Holly, you and I were talking earlier this morning about abandoning hope. Mm. And I wanted you to ask Martha about that. Yeah, I think it's it's so I mean I love like the, you know, um what does it say ye abandon enter here ye who abandon hope abandon or, all hope ye who ye enter, enter here when you're right, right. Yeah. Well, I think it's real interesting because I think I've heard about this, right, the concept of, you know, treating hope for faith for years, right? Like Pema Chodron talks about this this idea of, you know, hope is this change state, like wishing for something to be different before we can be okay. And I think in this season of my life, I have become intimate with this idea of being with what is, right, and abandoning this hope for my situation to change before I change, right, and actually just maintaining my faith, my deep faith um, in a benevolent universe and things working out for me and this, you know, being what it is, but also abandoning this idea that I need it to be better for me to be okay. And I think, Mm. I mean, that's what I get from it, right? Like the idea of like hope is this idea that we need things, the world to be different before we can start to actually be right with ourselves. And can you talk a bit about, about that, especially in, you know, in, in regards to, into the divine comedy, right? Yeah. Hope is a desire for something and uh, daring to believe that it may happen in the future. Problem is you can't control the future and you can't know it. So the flip side of hope is always fear. The moment you start to hope for something, you're afraid it won't happen or something will go wrong. So in the Tao Te Ching, my favorite Chinese book of of philosophy, it says, whether you go up, hope is as hollow as fear. Whether you go Mm. up the ladder or down it, your footing is unstable. Mm. So the solution is to pull in your consciousness into the present moment. And this is why meditation is so central to all mystical traditions, but especially in Asia, because the moment you start living in a future that you can't know or control instead of the present moment, which is all you can ever be, 
then you are completely off the ground of your reality. So the truth, the integrity truth is always now. And the moment you start obsessing about something in the past, but even more hoping and fearing for the future, you'll make yourself absolutely crazy. So like when I send out a book proposal or something and I'm like, oh, what's going to happen? It's impossible <laughs> not to get a bit attached. Right. I'm afraid that it won't be received well. I'm, I'm hoping it will be. And both of those things make me crazy. And I've found out that the solution is for me, maybe for you too, make something. Make something right now. Make a card, make a, only you're not allowed to, Emily. You, <laughs> Never again. That's all over for you. Um, not you know, 2024. Make a pie, yeah. make a mess, make something, because then you'll have to be here and the hope and fear disappear when you're in the creative process. Yeah. And it, meditation is one way, but I've found creativity is even better for me. Mm, like flow, right? I mean, yeah, it could get be into flow. a flow state. So whatever that is, however you can get there. And that is a state of almost doing something that is almost too hard for you. Something that uh, I've heard fascination defined as attention without effort. So something that your attention goes to without effort, where you can try to do something that is almost too hard because that brings your whole brain online, Right. You can drive and eat and do a whole bunch of things in the car and, and multitask and still be afraid. But if you're trying to make a work of art that is better than anything you've ever made, or if you're trying to play a piece on the piano that's almost beyond your ability, you are present. And it's a really good trick. And then you have something you made afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> what I have found over the past year, right, is just, well, I mean, and, and always, but really, really it's been poignant this last year is that how I, I react to everything that like just seeing my reaction to every single thing that happens and all the value I put on it. And like this morning, for instance, I got a text message. I didn't want to get about a call. I'm going to have to have later today that I don't want to have. And I start going immediately down the hole, like, Oh my God, this is going to be this. And, and then I just, you know, caught it and said, like, you don't know, like, like you don't have to actually make yeah. every single thing that happens a tragedy or a potential, you know, it could just be what happens. You could just move through life as if this is what happens. And designate 10 minutes now to plan and prepare as best you can for it. And then after the 10 minutes, go make something and don't think about the meeting until you're in it again. And if you relax and you, you're, in touch with what you're feeling, you'll think of good things to say better than you would have otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. It's that fear, you know, like I used to do this. I, this was like a very, very habitual deep thing for me that I still do to a degree, but I'm, I'm aware of it now where you try to sort of future proof yourself by saying like, I'm going to, I'm going to worry so much about this now, or yep. I'm going to be pre-disappointed. Like I'm going to assume that yep. the worst is going to happen so that I can feel pre-disappointed so that if yes. that actually happens, That'll then it won't work. be as bad. Like I won't hurt as much. Yeah. And then, you know, the truth about that is that you actually end up just hurting yourself potentially twice and you end up hurting yourself possibly once that where you didn't need to hurt yourself at all. Yes. You know, you stretch it out. You stretch out like, the anguish. Yes. It's like a way to guarantee your own yes. pain versus. Um, and you get to the you end know, of your yeah. life and you go, I was always wretched and miserable, but at least I was not surprised to be wretched and miserable. <laughs> I triumphed over my pain. No, exactly. 
exactly, yeah. exactly. And it's just as easy. I mean, one of the one of the things that I do a lot, um, based on this spiritual teacher named Byron Katie, is take whatever frightens you, turn it around by stating the exact opposite, and see if the opposite isn't just as verifiable. One of the examples I gave in in the way of integrity was when I was getting the death threats. I'd written this book about my experience with leaving Mormonism, and I was getting death threats and legal threats and all these things. And I was hiding in an airport because you never know where there are, are going to be Mormons. So um, I know it seems funny to laugh at them, but no, you in the dark. No, I'm not laughing at Mormons. No, at no, not at, not at all. <laughs> anyway, so I, I was hiding in an airport, and I found this book by this teacher, Byron Katie, not knowing she's going to become one of my very, you know, unusual-looking spiritual teachers. And she's just amazing. She had this enlightenment experience and she's just happy about everything all the time. And she has this very contrarian wisdom and it's it's all about questioning your assumptions and then reversing them. So my biggest fear was something terrible is going to happen to me because I wrote that book. So I read Byron Katie's book and I'm like, okay, what's the opposite of that? Can I be absolutely certain? I don't know. I mean, maybe I could dodge everything. And the opposite was, I'm going to happen to something terrible because I wrote that book. Mm. I mean, when I thought nothing terrible is going to happen to me, that one didn't land. When I thought, oh, I'm going to happen to something terrible uh, because I wrote that book. Okay. All right. And suddenly I was in my courage. I'd found the truth. I'd found my way back to integrity. Mm -hmm. And it was like, Come on, you motherfuckers. I'm here. You know, if you kill me, that's fine. I got this book out. You're, you know, I yep. win. <laughs> it wasn't that. I wasn't that arrogant. I was much more like, I wish everybody could be free and heal. <laughs> but, um, and I do. But when I was like, yeah, okay, I, I, I get this. Yeah. yeah. So take the opposite and see if it drops you into the courage of your heart and then move forward. Always being here now. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely yeah. love that. And I think like the, you know, the the work and the reversals, I use that, I use that tool all the time. And it is so fascinating Great. when you turn around what you like, what the obvious fear is. And then when you, it just, it rethreads the entire story. I love yeah. it. And I love that. I love that story of like something in hat terrible is going to happen to me and I'm going to happen to something terrible. That's a really good reversal. <laughs> <laughs> and it's wonderful because the more frightening and horrible something is, a belief is, yeah. the more it is the very teacher that's trying to awaken us to the truth yeah. we need most, to the deepest of truths. So when I sit and I like, okay, well, is fear the deepest thing? You know, people are going to die. Is that true? I I don't know. Nobody knows what happens at death. I do know that I had a near-death experience and it left me completely without a fear of death. Because if something that wonderful happens when we die, I'm thrilled <laughs> to go to go that direction. It was amazing. So I don't know what happens when we die. So why not? Um, what happens when we live? Let's try that one. What really happens when we live? Let's perseverate about that for a while instead of the other. And sure enough, the deep, deep, deep beliefs when you reverse them are the ones that set you the most free. Mm, thank you. Martha, thank you so much for giving us this time. Um, just before we go, you have a podcast that oh, uh, yes, people I should do. people should know about. With you my and Rowan, partner, yeah, Rowan Mangan, we have a podcast called Bewildered, and it's it's a pun because it stands for Be Wilder. 
So the whole idea is you take some place where the culture is trapping people and we just go in and we knock things around and we try to break that part of the culture and then help people find what's wild for them, which is their nature, right? So it's all about restoring our true nature and take, reclaiming it from culture. So bewildered, check it out. I love that. We love it. Yeah. Yeah. I thank you so much. I DM'd you a long time ago and asked if you did coaching. This today felt like a session. So I thank you for that. And you are, you're magic. And I think like this book, again, it was one of the most important books that I read in one of the hardest periods of my life. And everyone should read it. That's so kind of you, Holly. God bless you both jumping into this new life. If you, Just whatever you're afraid of, oh, this is going to be awful. Just think, what's the opposite? This is going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you both for everything you've done and, and for being here and letting me come talk to you. Yeah, I appreciate it deeply. You've been listening to Quitted, a podcast about quitting hosted by Holly Whitaker and Emily McDowell. Our music is by Michael Blumenfeld. Our sound engineer is Adam Day. And our producer is Kathleen Kissich. Quitted is made possible by us and by our listeners. To support the show, join our patron community at patreon.com forward slash quitted.